I am going to be speaking from the gospel account this morning in Matthew chapter 13. Um, Our lectionary reading skips verses 10 through 17, and so we had a jump. We talked about, we read Jesus' teaching of the parable, and then we read his explanation of the parable. You might want to turn me down just a little bit. I'm, I'm a little loud. There we go. How many of you remember the Verizon commercial a couple years back? Um, you had the Verizon representative guy, and he was walking across the country, and he would take a few steps, and he would say, can you hear me now? Good. He would take a few more steps, and he would say, can you hear me now? Good. And he was going all across the country, and the reason why Verizon was doing this is because they wanted you to know how good their reception signal was across the nation. The parable this morning that Jesus presents us is a parable where Jesus wants you to hear him. Because you see, entering into the kingdom of Jesus is all about hearing well. It's all about hearing well. We're in the middle of the gospel of Matthew and like midsummer weather, things are starting to heat up. And in chapter 12, and we didn't read chapter 12, let me set the background for you. We see several moments of Jesus's conflicts with the Pharisees who are now plotting to destroy him and have accused him of working for Satan. And by the end of chapter 12, Jesus appears to be at odds, even with his own family. His mother and his brother show up, and the disciples report to him, and, say, and they say, Jesus, your, your mother and your brothers are here. And, and he looks up at the disciple, and he says, who is my mother and my brothers? The ones who do the will of my father are my mothers and my brothers. And so he was even facing opposition from his own, or odds with his own family. And at the end of chapter 13, Jesus, this young prophet and teacher from Nazareth, will be rejected by his own hometown. So why, the question then is, why is Jesus, this teacher, this young prophet from Nazareth, why is he encountering so much hostility? Why why do so many disregard his message and discredit his ministry? Well, I think this helps us to understand why Jesus gives this parable of the sower. We can understand that Jesus has a purpose behind giving this parable. Yes, we can see that the kingdom has come, that Jesus has brought the kingdom. And there are many, however, who will miss it for many different reasons. Jesus has brought the kingdom, and yet there are some who are rejecting it. Now, even though Jesus was facing much opposition from the Pharisees, and even though he was at odds uh, with his family, he was still attracting a lot of people. He had thousands listening to his teaching. And one of the reasons was this young prophet from Nazareth was attracting a lot of people was because he spoke with authority that many had never heard in their day. He spoke with authority as one who was sent from God, the scriptures tell us. And along with his teaching, he was was healing the sick and freeing those who had been demon-possessed, and he was even calling the dead back to life. So this young teacher, this prophet from Nazareth, yes, he's facing a lot of opposition from the Pharisees, from the religious, from the self-righteous. 
but he's attracting the ones who are broken, who are sick, who are needy, who are desperate. And they see this Jesus going across the lands around the Sea of Galilee and he's preaching and teaching in the synagogues and he is healing the sick. He has given the blind sight. He is making the lame walk. He is casting demons out of the lives of people. And he's calling the dead to life. And so he's attracting a lot of people. Can you imagine if Jesus was walking today? My mercy. You'd have every news channel across the globe trying to follow him. You'd have every paparazzi member trying to find out where he's going to go next. Getting in his face. Can you imagine if Jesus chose this time as the time to come? But he's attracting many, many people. Those are not the only reasons why they came to hear him. You see, in in, in several of the parables that Jesus speaks, look ahead to the warnings of a great coming judgment. That judgment where God would restore the fortunes of Israel. Where he would again place Israel, the people of Yahweh, back into the land that was promised to them. And he would free them from oppression. And they knew that. Every Israelite who was hearing the teaching of Jesus, they knew that. They expected that. And so they were looking for one who was going to come like a prophet like Moses. They were looking for one who was going to come in the throne of David and reign and free them from oppression. They were looking for that Messiah. They were expecting a Messiah who would free them from the oppression of Rome. They longed for the day when they, the righteous, would be rescued from oppression and their enemies, the wicked, would be punished severely. And I don't think they would have come to stand around a lake inlet uh, just to hear somebody say that. They came for quite a different reason. You see, they came because they were starting to, to guess that the judgment was already beginning. That this Jesus of Nazareth was different. That uh, along with his teaching and authority was partnered with his powerful healing. And not only him, but his followers were healing people as well. And so somewhat in their mind, they came because they hoped he would tell them more about the way in which the one true God was beginning his work of rescuing them from their enemies, then and there, and wanting them perhaps to be even involved in the process. Is he going to call us to military revolution? Is he going to call us to arms? Is he going to call us to get ready to battle against Rome? See, that's what they were expecting. What they wanted was, of course, for the old prophecies to be fulfilled. They heard in the synagogues, and some of them studied for themselves the sacred writings from long ago, which spoke of the long period of God's anger against his rebellious people, and then of a new day dawning. On that new day, they would be rescued from evil. So imagine this. Like a farmer starting a new agricultural year, God would sow his field with crops that would bring in a harvest. Isaiah, Jeremiah, 
Amos, and many other prophets had spoken in this way. Seed time and harvest, part of God's created order, had long been a picture of how God the Creator would act to redeem His people from their sins, rescue them from exile, deliver them from the oppression of Rome. And now here's Jesus, this young prophet doing remarkable things, which made people wonder if he was the one who would bring it all about. No wonder they followed him. And no wonder when he began to speak about a farmer sowing seed, they listened and they listened eagerly. But the story he told wasn't really the one they were looking for, was it? It wasn't the kingdom they were expecting. You see, it wasn't a story about God sowing Israel in its own land at last, restoring their fortunes to the sort of greatness that they had always dreamed of. No, it it wasn't that kind of story. It was kind of a, a letdown for them. In fact, it was a story of both failure and success. It was cryptic. And he tells the story of a sower who sows seed in a field. And interestingly enough, in the ears of the Jews in Jesus' day, this sower would have seemed wasteful at worst and careless at best. When I grew up in North Carolina, I cropped tobacco when I was a boy. Now, some of you folks who are much younger than me don't even know what tobacco is. But in North Carolina, in southeastern North Carolina, where I grew up and was raised, we had tobacco fields, and it was hard work. You would get up at 3.30 in the morning, and you would go out, and and, and it was still dark outside, and, and, and the tobacco leaf was moist. And as you would snap the leaves off and put them under your arm and you're going down the row and you're tearing a leaf off, tearing a leaf off, and your hands would get sticky. And you would even smell pretty bad. And, and then the sun would come out and you'd start sweating and you'd get really hot. And so all this stickiness just got worse on your body. And sometimes it wasn't even worth it taking a shower. But the point of my story is that when my grandfather planted those tobacco fields, he made sure that every seed was put where it was supposed to be. He took great, careful, great detail in making sure that the seed was supposed to go where it went so that it would produce a crop. In the ears of these Jewish listeners and hearing Jesus' parable of the sower, they're sitting here thinking, man, this guy's got it all wrong. Why is he throwing seed on the rocks? Why, why is he sowing seed on the places where people walked and not in the place where you're supposed to plant it? Why is he sowing seed in the thorns? That doesn't make sense. It would have been careless and, and even wasteful. Jesus tells us that the sower nevertheless casts his seed even into the unfruitful places. But there is also seed cast into the good ground, the good soil, where it produces fruit and a lot of it. I mean, 60-fold and 30-fold will be considered an abnormally large amount of harvest from a little seed. But 100-fold? Wow! 
Now with all these people hearing Jesus teach this parable, Jesus proclaims to them, He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. When Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear, this should alert us to the fact that he meant, I know this isn't obvious. You're going to have to think about it. It's not going to be very clear to you. You're going to have to really put some thought into this. Jesus wanted them to struggle with what he was saying. To talk about it among themselves, to think it through. What would they have come up with as they did so? As they think about Jesus giving this parable, what what kind of thoughts do you think ran through the minds of the Jews as they heard this parable? I think some might have thought it was a coded way of telling the story of Israel. The sower is God. And the seed that fell in the unfruitful places were the kings, the prophets, the priests. And none of them really succeeded. And now he was sending someone who would. Now he was sending someone, a seed, who would be thrown into the good soil and produce a crop. Just like seed in the field, some going to waste, but at last, some bearing fruit. That fruit, that would be good news, all right. That would be great news. But I don't think they really got this message. In other words, if you want to be in the kingdom of God, then you're going to have to be part of my kingdom work. And you better, he- you better hear and think through all that I am teaching you. Because I'm calling you more. I'm calling you to something more than you realize. I'm calling you to something more than you realize. So the parable of the sower is a parable that Jesus gives as he's setting out in the boat in the Sea of Galilee. And in an unusual way, Jesus offers his own explanation of it to his disciples. Now, we don't get verses uh, 10 through 17 today because it's not in the lectionary reading. But let me just share with you briefly that in those passages, in those verses, Jesus very clearly tells his disciples who wonder, Jesus We didn't understand what you were saying. (laughs) They didn't get it. And and, and Jesus says something pretty hard. Uh, In fact, he quotes Isaiah. And he tells them that there will be some who will not hear, though they have ears. And they will not see, though they have eyes. And the reason why they won't hear is because their ears are dull and their eyes are blind to the truth of God's kingdom work. But then he tells his disciples, (laughs) but blessed are you, for you have heard. And blessed are you, for you have seen. And then after he shares this with them, he he begins to explain the parable. And I tell you, the interpretation focuses on reception of the seed by various kinds of soil as an allegory for varying responses to the word of the kingdom. But the interpretation also raises some troubling questions. 
For instance, who qualifies as good soil? I know many of you have read this parable before and you've read the explanation as well. Have you ever asked the question, man, do I qualify as good soil? Do I qualify as good soil? Since soil cannot change itself, is there any hope for the hardened, the rocky, and the thorny soil? Are these destined to be unproductive forever? But I tell you, that may be the wrong way of interpreting the whole text. One can find examples of each kind of response to the word of the kingdom in Matthew's gospel. There are many in Matthew's gospel account who hear the word of the kingdom and they do not understand, including the religious leaders who are antagonistic to Jesus' ministry from the beginning. The crowds respond positively to Jesus, especially to his miracles of healing, yet turn against Jesus at the end and demand his crucifixion leaving us to wonder whether they they ever truly understood. The disciples themselves might be included among those who fall away when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word. And the rich young man, unable to part with his possessions, provides a stunning example of one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the world, choke the word, and it yields nothing. So what about the good soil? Who are those who hear the word and understand it, who indeed bear fruit and yield an abundant harvest? In Matthew's story, it seems that they are the least likely ones. In in chapter 21 of Matthew, uh, Jesus tells the chief priests and elders, The tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God before you. Did y'all hear that right? Jesus tells the religious rulers that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God before them. In the parable of the sheep and the goats, the righteous bear fruit by serving the least of these, and even they are surprised to find it that they have been serving Jesus. And what about the disciples? (laughs) Will they ever bear fruit? After telling several more parables, Jesus asked them, Have you understood all this? And in chapter 13, verse 51, they confidently answer, Yes! Yet subsequent events in the story will reveal how little they truly understand and how quickly they will desert Jesus to save their own sins. And can I tell you why? Because unless you understand that Jesus was sent into the world to become a sacrifice for the sins of the world, you won't understand his kingdom work. You see, we have to hear well. And the disciples in this point and phase in their life, they didn't understand that Jesus was sent to be a ransom. That Jesus was sent to be a sacrifice for the sins of the world, 
for the curse that took place in the Garden of Eden. Jesus was sent for that primary purpose. And if you can't understand that aspect of Jesus' kingdom work, you're not going to understand the parables that he taught. Because the parables are centered around the vision that Jesus was sent to become a sacrifice for us and to rise again from the dead on the third day. But I tell you, what is remarkable in in all this is that in spite of these failings of the disciples and in us, Jesus does not give up on his disciples. He doesn't give up. In fact, he continues to invest in them, even to the point of entrusting the future of his mission to them. He calls them as his own, as his friends, as his brothers. And he tells them that they are the light of the world. They are the salt and the light of the earth. And he even tells them that it's on them that he will build his church. And although Jesus knows full well that all the disciples will desert him and that Peter will deny him three times, he nevertheless promises them, but after I am raised up, I will go ahead of you to Galilee in chapter 26. And Jesus does meet them in Galilee as promised. And with all authority in heaven and on earth given to him, turns them loose in the world to carry out his mission and puts the Holy Spirit in them and they serve him. When you read Matthew's gospel account, it gives us little reason to have confidence in the disciples. But that's the point. Confidence is not to be placed in the followers of Jesus. Our confidence is to be placed in Jesus who sends his people out to be a part of his kingdom work. You see, the main character in the parable is the sower. It's not the soil, it's the sower. Who's the sower? It's God. Who's the seed? It's the word of the kingdom being dispersed out. And church, I want to encourage you this morning that as you get involved in kingdom work, you're going to find times where it's hard. You're going to find times where it's difficult. As a church plant, you're going to find times where it seems impossible. But I tell you, God makes that which is impossible possible. He makes the rough places smooth. He makes the mountains low and he lifts up the valleys high. And he makes the places where we can bring the gospel to bear. And some will not hear because they don't understand. And some will hear and they'll immediately leap with joy. But when trial and persecution comes, they'll leave. And then some will hear and receive it. But like the thorns in the field, the cares of this world will spring up and choke them. And they'll be laid to waste. 
But then there are some who are good soil where the word of the kingdom is bearing fruit and changing us from the inside out. And the promise, the promise is that it will bring forth fruit that is 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Do you find that evident in your own life? Do you find that evident here at Church of the Incarnation? That God is doing this great kingdom work in Harrisonburg, and he's doing it through you. That's a big challenge, isn't it? But who really does the work? The sower. Not the seed. The message is plain. It's true. Jesus came to bring the kingdom to bear. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand and it's in me. And I have come that you may have life and that you may have life abundant. I have come that you may find freedom. And if you have been set free, you are free indeed. So I encourage you this morning. Keep persevering. Keep persevering and being the vessel that God can use as he throws out the seed. He's bearing fruit in your own life. And he's bearing fruit in this community. That's the message of the sower. That God is at work. And we need to join him in this work. Make no mistake about it. If you want to enter into the kingdom, you have to hear. And you have to hear well.